Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Um, as I say, greeting, greeting some Kiltiernan. Uh, so, Ag Climate Ties, a roadmap to climate neutrality for Irish agriculture, um, as Mark said, was launched by Minister McConnell uh, in December. Uh, so it's great to have an opportunity um, to, to, to talk to you about it uh, this morning, uh, given that, that, that it's uh, very, very, very timely. Um, I just want to kind of, you know, set the scene a little bit and, um, you know, why we're in this space. Uh, the program for government uh, and the recent climate action amendment bill you know, has the objective for a climate neutral economy by 2050. And agriculture is clearly going to have to be part of that. At, at an international level, the Paris Agreement, I suppose, sets the overarching context and framework uh, for where we are. So there's, there's a goal or an objective to limit temperature rises this century to less than two degrees above pre-industrial levels and, and to actively pursue effort to, li to limit uh, temperature increase to less than 1.5 degrees. We're probably at 1, 1.2 degrees at the moment. So, you know, it's, 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 it's really, really the time for action now in order to, to have any chance of, of achieving this. Many of you will be familiar with the European Green Deal, and that's, that's also kind of framing the work that the department is doing. Um, the farm to fork strategy is a key part of the, the Green Deal, uh, along with the biodiversity strategy. And there's no doubt the farm to fork strategy and some of the targets that are in that would have influenced department thinking in terms of uh, bringing together this roadmap over the last number of months. So look, it's 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 clear, you know, at an EU level, um, there, there there's going to be there's a requirement now to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions by fifty five percent by twenty thirty, and that's up from forty percent. Uh, this was recently agreed by by uh, by the European Commission, and as I say, agriculture will need to play its part. So just a very briefly on the farm to fork strategy. Look, people will be, I'm sure people have seen it. Uh, for those of you who haven't, um, it's, it's very much focused on reducing the environment and climate footprint of the food system. It's about ensuring food security and public health for our citizens. And it's leading a global transition towards a competitive, sustainable uh, farm to fork uh, agri-food sector. So Europe would see themselves very much as a leader here. And they want to, I suppose, influence, you know, agricultural policy and food production systems at a global level. There are clearly new opportunities, you know, around the whole issue of carbon trading. And I'll touch on that later in my presentation. And finally, it's about uh, creating a robust and resilient food system. So look, the, just to recap uh, the role of agriculture in Irish emissions, um, Ireland was the second country to declare a national climate emergency. Uh, agriculture is the largest contributor to greenhouse gas emissions in Ireland, uh, accounting for about 34% of total emissions. Uh, the main source of greenhouse gas emissions uh, is, is, is livestock, essentially. It's, it's enteric fermentation methane. Uh, and nitrous oxide also plays the big role, about two thirds, one third, uh, give or take. Uh, emissions have been increasing, uh, especially since the removal of milk quotas in 2015, uh, where dairy cow numbers have, have expanded, uh, you know, quite significantly. So look, what are the environmental challenges? Like generally, 
as as animal numbers go up and fertilizer sales go up to kind of match that, uh, there's impacts around this. There's impacts around greenhouse gas emissions, ammonia emissions. They both go up. Uh, and then there has been an, a, a disimprovement in biodiversity water quality uh, over, over, over the same time frame. So the challenge is, well, how are we going to address these issues uh, in order to transition the sector to a more long-term sustainable platform? This basically graph basically shows, you know, where we are in terms of emissions, both of both of um, of, of methane and, and total greenhouse gas emissions for, for the agricultural sector. This was based on the 2019 Climate Action Plan, uh, where we're at, as you can see on the graph, we're about, you know, 21, um, 20 point, uh, four megatons at the moment. And the target was to reduce that by 10 to 15% uh, over the next 10 years. Ammonia emissions is also something that we have to address. And, and this is the other part of the roadmap. This is the air part of the roadmap. Uh, we have a target uh, to reach in terms of ammonia emissions. It was 112 kilotons by 2020. We have missed that target. Um, Ammonia emissions are approximately about 119,000 tonnes at the moment, and almost exclusively all that comes from the, agri the agriculture sector. Our target in 2030 uh, is 107 uh, kilotons, and it's, it's, this is a key challenge for us, and, and, and some of the measures within our climatise are very ambitious in order to try and, and, and bring us uh, in compliance with, with these ammonia targets. So just uh, to, to, to briefly, I did recall, I've mentioned briefly just at the start in, in my introduction, like Ag Climatize, we had a public consultation uh, process that was launched in November, 2019. And that closed, I think in January of, of last year, about a year ago, I think uh, to the day, in fact. Uh, it was a very extensive engagement. Uh, we had 400 survey responses. We had, we had 104 written submissions. And then we had a stakeholder participant workshop uh, held in Tolo uh, in, in February. And some of you would have been at that. So look, taking all those inputs that we received, you know, the division uh, started the drafting of, of, of the final document. Collaboration is a key component here. Uh, all stakeholders will need to work together, you know, to tackle the climate change and air pollution issue we have. The department can't do it all. Sustainability. Look, we want to ensure that we remain at the front of globally sustainable food production systems. Consumers are becoming ever more educated uh, on the environmental footprint of agriculture, as we all know. And in order to safeguard the future of the Irish family farm for generations to come, we, we do need to change uh, certain things. Uh, how we're farming, you know, on, on the ground. So look, the, the, the vision of Ag Climatize is, is, is to develop a, a climate neutral food system, which is compatible with the Paris temperature goals, which I talked about, where the climate impact of methane is reduced to zero and remaining emissions are balanced by, by removals. So essentially this means, as, as you will have seen in the document, there is going to be, there is a significant cut in methane emissions uh, from the livestock sector needed over the next 30 years. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change would say that a reduction of between 24 and 
is needed in order to reduce that global warming and um, you know impact of, of, of methane coming coming from livestock. So look, the roadmap sets out targets for, for 2030 and sets us on a path for climate neutrality by 2050. As Marcus said, there's 29 specific actions. Uh, I've mentioned the issue, like I said, we had that extensive uh, engagement with all stakeholders, and this is so, so important from the department. It's a living document. The document will change and evolve over the decade. Uh, there's a new climate bill has been negotiated at the moment. Uh, and over the next six months, as, as that is finalized, we can expect probably to see some changes to this document. Essentially, this document is based on mobilizing the Chagas uh, greenhouse gas and ammonia marks. Chagas produced an ammonia mark last year, they had their greenhouse gas mark from 2018. So essentially, this document takes, uh, you know, the, the, the best of those documents, if you like, and, and brings them together. So look, a climate neutral agri-food sector, but I've kind of said what that means. You know, we need to reduce the methane um, by this 24 to 47% by 2050. You know, the role of feed additives are going to become really important here. Um, but we can also make huge strides in this in terms of breeding uh, and, and focusing more on, on selecting for methane in our breeding programs. It's about reducing nitrous oxide emissions from fertilizer use. There's a very ambitious target to in our climatize to reduce nitrous oxide emissions by 50% uh, over the next 10 years. Uh, and then it's about balancing residuals by carbon offsets through forestry, grass and hedgerows. And also then the issue of reducing ammonia emissions. A key part of, of what we need to do is around chemical nitrogen use. Chemical nitrogen is a big driver of nitrous oxide emissions, uh, accounts for about 40% of them. So by 2030, there's a target nitrogen chemical fertilizer uh, usage of 325,000 tons. Uh, we're probably at about 375,000 tons uh, last year. This is uh, in line with uh, the 20% reduction in the EU farm to fork strategy and uh, based on peak use of uh, our nitrogen peaked about 408,000 tons in 2018. There'll be cold benefits to water and, and air in terms of ammonia, in terms of reducing that. 50% uh, of nitrogen use is in the dairy sector. Um, so, you know, it's clear that the dairy sector are going to have to uh, carry a significant burden you know, in relation to this action. So what do we, what do we need to do to, to in order to achieve that? We need to optimize our nutrient management planning. We need to enhance liming. It's a key part of, of the strategy also. If we have our lime status of our soils at the correct level, we can legitimately reduce nitrogen levels and, and, and still get the same uh, grass growth response. Low emission slurry spreading is a key part. Uh, we've very ambitious plans to transition to 90% use of low emission slurry spreading by 2027. The benefit here, of course, that we get a better recovery of nitrogen for organic from our organic manures, uh, enabling you know, to keep more nitrogen in the system and improve that nitrogen use efficiency. Covering external slurs will also be required. Uh, clover and all grass seeds by 2022, and then the use of like, leguminous crops. Uh, a second kind of key component is, is, is not only reducing the total amount of fertilizer, it's, it's also looking at the type of fertilizer we spread. So we want to kind of move towards protected forms of nitrogen. 
Uh, and this is this is where the whole area of protected urea comes in. Some of you will have heard about this and some of you will already be using it. So by the end of 2023, we want to transition away from untreated urea uh, to, to protected urea. And then further down the decade, uh, we want to replace 65% of can with protected urea. So look, we're going to have to work very closely with the industry and, and both a co-op and, and, and the fertilizer companies in order to achieve this. But these two measures are alone, both reducing overall end use and by changing the fertilizer type. These are the two things that farmers on the ground can do, which will have the greatest impact in reducing greenhouse gas emissions within the agricultural inventory. So if you were to take nothing else away from today's presentation, uh, it would, I would ask you just to focus on, on these two issues. Another important thing, as we see, will be to genotype the national herd. Uh, I mentioned about those, the, the issue of, of, of breeding and breeding more methane efficient animals, particularly on, 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 well, on the beef side, but also on the dairy side through the EBI. Uh, this will enable us to, to accelerate progress on that. So, you know, we're, we're, we're very excited about the potential this has. Um, we will be setting up a group, you know, within the department to lead the development of, of this action. Again, improved grassland management is key. It kind of ties in, if you like, with the nitrogen uh, reduction piece. Uh, you know, we need to have improved grassland management. So we're providing, you know, maximizing the growth of grass, you know, on our farms, you know, to reduce the need uh, to, to be bringing in concentrates on, onto the farm. Animal health is key. Um, if we can keep our animals healthy and um, they're more efficient, um, you know, and that has a positive impact on, 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 on the overall carbon footprint of the farm. There are a number of diseases there. I'm not going to go through them all. For example, we, we want to eradicate BPD uh, by 2023. So the department would have programs around that and our climatized just kind of brings them together in, 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 one, in, one, in one slide there. So again, uh, we, we, we also want to reduce the pro, pro, pro protein and livestock feeding stuffs. So I've mentioned about external feeding stuffs coming onto the farm. Uh, it's a source of nitrogen. It's, it's adding to that nitrogen balance, if you like, on the farm. So it makes sense to reduce the nitrogen uh, in those, uh, reduce the crude protein in those feeding stuffs uh, to, 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 the, to, to, to the maximum level. Um, we also want to um, invest heavily in novel feed additives in order to make that reduction in biogenic methane. Um, over the next 30 years, well, feed additives are going to need to play a role uh, in, 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 in achieving that. So there'd be an increased emphasis on, on, on building on the research done to date uh, over the next uh, number of years. Another key aspect is this increase in proportions of homegrown proteins. And this is something that will interest the tillage farmers. Uh, again, from a sustainability point of view, from a, from a story point of view, from a Borbia point of view, in terms of marketing our products to other uh, you know, international markets, this is a nice story. If we could kind of circleize the agri-food sector a little bit more by using more homegrown proteins, I think this will be a, a positive. I think everyone would accept that. Organics is going to be part of it. Uh, we, we launched a strategy in January 2019. Uh, we're probably going to have to relook at that. Minister Hackett is very keen on this area. Um, but look, it has to be market demand led. 
Uh, it's the, the increase to 350,000 hectares is in line with the EU farm to fork strategy and it's something that's going to need a lot of work, you know, to too. It's a very ambitious target between now and 2030. I mentioned tillage farming and um, tillage farming plays a key role. Um, we would like to maintain or increase the area of tillage, you know, above the 300,000 hectares by 2030. Probably winter grown cereals are going to become a, a bigger part of it, I would say, because they're more efficient from, a, from, a, from an environmental point of view in terms of the nutrient use efficiency. Uh, we've seen kind of developments in terms of yeah, winter grown barley, you know, to provide more for the whiskey industry. Um, leguminous crops as break crops, reducing chemical land. Uh, again, it comes back to that, that, that nitrogen piece. Buffer strips, reduced tillage techniques, strong cooperation is being looked at, not, at an, not all over the country. We will have to manage that because obviously straw is still used as a, as a bedding requirement in, in, for some livestock farms. But looking at those higher value products in terms of the, the oats, the wheat for milling, the malt and barley. Uh, and also trying to incorporate more organic manures uh, back onto the farm. So in terms of land use, uh, a big part of what we need to do is we need to reduce the management intensity of about 40,000 hectares of peat-based agricultural soils. Uh, this would have a very positive um, you know, impact on the greenhouse gas inventory. Uh, you all know about your hedgerows. Uh, you're very, very, very conscious of the role they can play in terms of carbon sequestration. So there's a key kind of focus in then acclimatise to protect, enhance and increase the number of hedgerows and farms. I mentioned farm carbon trading at the outset. There's many farms farming in a, in a very extensive way in Ireland. You know, you think there were sucker farmers or tillage farmers. Uh, they're providing public goods and we would like to try and find a way to support, you know, those farmers in terms of maybe an additional income stream. Um, to, 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 to help those farmers and reward them for the public goods they are providing. Forestry is a key part of it. It's the Minister Hackett's area of your review group um, recently, you know, when they would be tasked, you know, with, with growing the forestation rates to, to 8,000 hectares per year, effectively doubling them from, from current levels. Um, energy on farm is also going to be, you know, part of the discussion. Um, we, we there's a requirement to now climatize for a 20% reduction, you know, use across all farms and then, you know, generate 20% deployment to renewable energy uh, systems. You will see Minister Ryan yesterday in the media, he launched a consultation process on microgeneration in terms of the possibility of generating electricity and selling it back into the grid. So that's something I think that farmers will be interested in and, and they should really take some time to look at that consultation process and, 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 and submit their thoughts uh, into it. We've, we've heard a lot about anaerobic digestion. When I first joined the department in 2001, one of the first areas I looked at was anaerobic digestion. It hasn't really developed, uh, you know, as an industry um, dramatically over the last 20 years, but it certainly does have a role um, it's about getting the policy framework right, you know, to, to, to enable that. But certainly anaerobic digestion can play a role in terms of reducing that methane, uh, overall methane level from, from Irish agriculture as well. So look, just some, some at the end of the document, for those of you ha that have read it, you'll be familiar. It's more like cross-cutting enabling actions then into the future. So the agricultural knowledge and innovation systems is key here. 
you know, and this is a little bit what we're doing this morning. And um, you know, Chagas will play a, a crucial role in, in relate role in relation to this. It's about continued professional development for farm advisors. Uh, there's no point in, 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 in the department, you know, need to get this message out on the farms. Uh, and there's a huge role for, for, for the farm advisory, you know, to do that. You know, and signpost farms, you've, you've heard about these, they're going to be established and they're going to play a key role as well, you know, in driving this behavioural change and explaining to farmers, you know, well, why we need to do this, how we and how we need to do it. We would like to establish a centre of excellence, um, you know, in terms of this ruminant um, methane uh, piece, grassland soil carbon fluxes and a carbon neutral resilient farms. We, we I, I guess, like New Zealand, we're very similar that we both um, have significant um, part of our greenhouse gas inventory comes from agriculture and from grass based um, livestock production systems. So, you know, there's a lot of the, we can we can definitely kind of lead in this space, and that's something we're looking to explore. As I mentioned, look, the the, the ACUS is clear. We all know that we we need to have strong links between research and practice, uh, and just you know encouraging those data flows back down to farm. Some other issues, Origin Green will play a role here. You know, it strengthens our reputation to credible, measurable actions to drive competitive advantage and sustainable growth in Irish produce in order to, you know, get to those high paying markets uh, where, where we need to be. This, this roadmap, as, as, and if, if, if someone wants to be critical of it, and some people have said it to me, it's, it's very strong on the how, but it, 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 it's not always clear on, or it's very strong on the what, but not very clear on the how we're going to implement some of these actions. But that was deliberate because we, we, we see this as a collaborative approach, as I said. So we will be setting up expert consultative groups this year in order to drive some of the implementations of the actions. But this isn't the department doing it. We want to involve everyone in this process in order to ensure that we get this right. You, we, some people will ask about funding. Um, the new cap has been delayed. It won't start before 2023, as we all know now. Uh, we'll certainly be looking at rolling over some of the schemes. You've seen that. We will also look at some pilot measures that will be trialed you know, to, to help you know, implement the measures and actions that are in ag climatized. But it's, it's broader than just CAP, you know, we will need agri-industry support, uh, be incentives and collaboration also. Just to, 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 to highlight just, you know, where the CAP is, as I said, it's not yet finalised, but there will be increased environmental ambition. Um, each member state is, it will have to prepare a CAP strategic plan and that, that process will take place this year. Um, it will need to reflect, you know, the farm to fork, that's very clear. Um, you've heard about eco schemes um, and the long-term agri-environment climate measures. So, you know, there's no doubt that the new cap will have greater focus on, on the environment and climate. So look, as I said, the cap and public bodies can't do it all. This, this entire sector uh, is in this together. This isn't the department's roadmap, it's our roadmap. It's everyone's roadmap that's working in, in the agri-industry. Agri you know, and all sectors must play the part, we, be it industry, we've seen some great initiatives from Dairy Sustainability Ireland in terms of the asset programme, we need the advisory services. For example, many co-ops offer fertiliser spreading service. Can they do the same for lime? You know, we need to improve the lime status of, of our soils. 
Do pricing models need to change? We've seen examples already for bonus payments that enhance environmental initiatives on farm. We saw some biodiversity um, you know, initiatives last year. What about bonus payments for farmers involved in milk recording or, or potentially finishing animals earlier? So these are the kind of things that you know the industry are going to have to consider uh, going forward to drive that change on, encourage the change on farm. So look, Ireland has a great story to tell. We know that, but you know some of the environmental you know parameters have been going in the wrong direction in recent years. So it's time to act. It's time to act now. Uh, in order kind of to take back control of the situation. So just to conclude finally, so what's our climatise in, in the main, we need to kind of negate the climate impact of biogenic methane. So that's methane from, the, from our rumen and from our livestock. There'll be two focus areas around that. Animal breeding will play a role and the new technologies that will eventually come on stream such as feed additives. Ireland has a competitive advantage in grass production. We know that. We know that's why, you know, we developed as a, as a, as a grass-based um, livestock production uh, system here. But we need to reduce the losses of nitrogen. You know, nitrogen use efficiency on livestock farms is, is, could be better. You know, we're at about 25-30%. We, we need to get that up. You know, and focusing on protective forms of nitrogen, the use of clover, the use of less will help us achieve that. Again, I've mentioned land use management is going to be key. We're going to have to generate, you know, carbon offsets through forestry, through the rewetting of the carbon rich soils, and the management and enhancement over hedgerows. Look, and all these things that we're going to do, you know, there are a number of co-benefits then in terms of water quality and biodiversity. So by, by meeting our climate objectives, we can make significant progress on water quality and biodiversity also. So I'll leave it at that. Uh, thank you for your attention. My contact details uh, are, are on the slide if you ever need to get in touch. So I'll hand it back to you, Mark. Dale, thanks very much. Um, right on time, which means we have lots of time for questions. Uh, you'll be glad, glad to hear, Dale. Great. <laughs> uh, so um, you, you gave a very comprehensive uh, presentation there and I know look time hasn't allowed us to go into every uh, the detail but um, what do you say uh, to the people that you know that beyond the environmental impact uh, you know what are the implications for agriculture in Ireland if we don't hit these targets that you've outlined? Look, it, I think, you know, not reaching the targets is, 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 is no longer an option. I think from a number point of view, both from a legislative point of view at a Brussels level in terms of fines. But I think ultimately for me, the bigger issue is around the consumer mark. You know, and consumers around the globe are going to be looking, you know, at these issues ever, 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 ever so more now. And they'll be, be very conscious now in terms of, you know, what they're buying and where they're buying. So we want to dine at the top table. We want to be, you know, getting the best return and best value for our products in that international market space. We're exporting, you know, what nearly 90% of the food we produce. So we're very conscious. We need to be very conscious of what the, the market is telling us. So outside the issue of fines, you know, from Brussels, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's keeping that kind of consumer clearly in our focus. And we need to, you know, 
be the best we can be. Uh, and this is what our climatides will, will attempt to do. We're, we're going into a decade of change. You know, there's no doubt. And some people, you know, we, it's human nature to get concerned, you know, when, when, when change is kind of, you know, coming. But, you know, I just like to reassure our farmers out there, you know, that the system will be fully behind them, you know, as we look to make these changes. It's in their interest that we do this, you know, over the coming years. Uh, Without wanting to sound pessimistic, though, uh, Dale, I mean, if we don't hit these targets, I mean, do you foresee uh, regulation having to come in here to to fill that space? Look, there's no doubt that that will become part of it, Mark. You know, at the outset, you know, we're very much wanting to to approach this from a collaborative point of view, you know, and work with the industry, work with the farmers, you know, explain to them why we need to do this. If we don't see, you know, if the trends continue to go in the wrong direction, you know, in over the next year or the next two years, well, then the department will have to look at, at, at other options in terms of, you know, legislating for some of the issues that, that, that I've talked about today. And I think that's probably inevitable. The environmental pillar uh, has described the, the Ag Climatized document as a roadmap for business as usual and not ambitious enough uh, to achieve the climate targets uh, set down for, for Ireland. What's your response to that, Dale? Look, uh, we, 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 we have engagement with the environmental pillar. Yeah, we, we, we have a lot of dialogue with them. They were part of the consultation process. Um, I don't agree with them. Uh, I think, you know, if you look at the measures, you know, in this roadmap in terms of what it's stating in black and white in a document, you know, a reduction of 50% uh, in nitrous oxide emissions from fertilizer use, you know, transitioning away from can to, to protected urea at a level of 65%, moving to low emission slurry spreading that we've a 90% target by 2027. That's an effective ban on the splash page, you might say. So I, I think this document is, is very ambitious. You know, it, 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 it's all about, you know, following the science and keeping the science at the center of what we do. And that's about, you know, negating, you know, the, 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 bi- the climate global warming impact of, of biogenic methane. Uh, and, you know, this, this, this roadmap will, will, will start us on, the, um, on a path to, to achieve that. Okay. And Dale, there has been kind of repeated uh, referrals to the, the fact that the dairy uh, cow numbers are on the increase and, and just how compatible is that with the ag climatized document? Sure, look, that's a good question and it's something that, you know, has, has, has generated a bit of media coverage over the last few weeks. Look, the reality is that the, the ag climatized roadmap is very much based on a stable methane emissions. We cannot see methane emissions grow over the next 10 years. So that's the whole fundamental basis of the document. If, if dairy cow numbers continue to grow and nothing else changes, then we cannot achieve you know, our objective of, of stable methane. Uh, Suckler cow numbers are predicted to fall, you know, over the next 10 years. So there may be some, you know, very limited yeah, room for, for, for further growth in the dairy sector, but we're really reaching, you know, the end of the road in terms of that kind of, um, you know, expansion in the dairy sector. 
uh, breeding will allow us some maybe room for, for maneuverability and feed additives, you know, when they come, but they're not expected to come, you know, to, to the latter part of the decade. Uh, so we do have to watch this very carefully in terms of the trends in animal numbers uh, over the next year or two. And just from, from you, you mentioned uh, on your slide, I think it's one of your slides at the, near the end there, Dale, about just transition. And I know just time, time didn't allow to, to, to actually go into the detail of it. But what, what measures are put in place in this document to ensure this just transition? Because we know that, that this is a fundamental part of the whole climate change policy is to, to tr try and ensure that nobody is left behind. Sure, like Mark, that, that, that's, that's an important part. It's an important action at, at the end of the document. Um, you know, we will have to we will have to sit down and kind of, you know, look at this. As you say, we don't want to leave anyone behind, but we don't necessarily think we do need to leave anyone behind. You know, if we if we if we take a kind of a holistic view of of, of, of what we need to do, we believe we can have a, a thriving dairy industry. We can we believe we can reinvigorate the beef industry. We want to maintain the tillage sector. We, we, we don't really see a situation where we're going to be leaving large, you know, groups of farmers behind. But at the same time, you know, things will change. Um, and, you know, we have to make sure that as we as we transition through these changes, that there is a sense of fairness around it. And there's a sense of fairness in, in relation to what we're asking farmers to do. Thanks, Dale. Uh, pass some really uh, interesting questions coming through there. Yeah, on a, on a wide variety of, of, of elements of it. Just, a, I suppose, a few fairly general ones. Um, there's a question there, uh, or a, a comment that is postulating that maybe farmers will, will take a, a wait-and-see approach in, in relation to climate action rather than taking action now. Uh, is that a viable option? Um, I think the answer to that is no, and I don't think uh, the farmers or anyone watching this morning will be will be too surprised to hear me say that we need to take action yesterday, and, and and that's the reality. If we don't start acting now and making the changes that we need to make now, the ask of us in the latter part of the decade just increases. So we we need to spread the burden out, you know, over the decade as we if we want to be able to get on this path towards climate neutrality. So the answer to that is very much no. I want to see farmers uh, cutting fertilizer use on their farms this year, this spring when they're planning the fertilizer program. We can't wait till next year. Uh, a, a question uh, from Ray Bates: uh, Would the speaker care to comment on the fact that uh, that there is a view? That agriculture is responsible for 34% of, of Irish emission is based on outdated uh, methane accounting system. Yeah, look, that, that, that's a fair, fair question from Ray. And, and look, the department are kind of very engaged in that discussion, uh, you know, around the whole issue of metrics. Um, look, the reality is, regardless of whether we operate on a, on a GWP 100 or a GW star, um, you know, accounting system, and I don't want to get into to too much detail around this, um, we still have to reduce methane emissions, you know, and that's the reality. And like people, the scientists, like such as Miles Allen in the University of Oxford, that's who's been kind of leading, you know, the scientific discussion around methane and accounting for methane in a different way. Miles would fully acknowledge that methane emissions still need to reduce. 
So that's 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 the principle that we're starting with. We will be engaging, you know, at an international level, you know, and talking to people uh, to see, you know, well, what are the prospects of, of, of transitioning to a different accounting system? That takes time. Nothing can happen between now and 2030 because the systems are locked in onto that point. But, but over the coming years, we would certainly be engaging, you know, on this issue in a serious way. But I would just simply caution back to my first point that regardless of the metric you use, methane emissions still need to be reduced. Uh, a couple of questions in relation to, to anaerobic digestion and, and uh, the potential for that to, to deliver, I suppose, on a number of fronts in terms of, of uh, emissions reductions and also in terms of the circular bioeconomy and a, any, a, a couple of questions around the possibility of support for, uh, for anaerobic digestion. Look, it, it's a fair comment. Um, the Department of Agriculture, I suppose, don't don't lead on that and, and, and part of the policy in, in, in relation to, to anaerobic digestion. We engage very closely with our colleagues in, 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 in Department of Energy, um, you know, looking at the issues around, you know, anaerobic digestion. It clearly has a role to play. Uh, it's very capital expensive, you know, capital intensive at the start. Um, you know, we have to kind of look at that financial payback uh, in order to make the, the systems viable. From a scientific point of view, there's no doubt that they have a role to play. It can take methane out of the system. It can produce a more, you know, user-friendly organic fertilizer to use after. It can contribute towards renewable energy targets. But it's just around that whole kind of financial model that I think needs to be kind of teased out a little bit more. But, you know, there's a commitment within the roadmap um, to do that. So it's something that the department is conscious of um, and we will be engaging with our colleagues and other government departments to see what, what, what can be done in, in that space. Uh, just a, a, a kind of a, a question from Lethiel a little bit. Do you think that the COVID emergency fallout will impact on, on the climate plan either positively or negatively and uh, provide a momentum for, for potential change? I think if you look at it in, in general from other sectors, obviously COVID has had a huge impact, you know, on the greenhouse gas inventory for Ireland. Um, for agriculture, I don't think things have changed that dramatically. And I think that's testament, you know, to the great work our farmers and processes have done, you know, over the last year that they've enabled, you know, food supply chains to, to remain valid and continue to supply food and put food on our tables. So agricultural emissions, you know, aren't going to change dramatically, but clearly it will have a huge impact on other sectors in terms of seeing their inventory kind of fall um, last year. Uh, there's a, 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 a comment, I suppose, around the age profile of farming, uh, identifying this as a, as a potential challenge to get uh, change implemented. Uh, so I suppose, how do you get young farmers to uh, be in a position to influence the, the kind of change that we, we, we uh, need to see? Yeah, look, I think clearly like it's, it's, it's it, young farmers are probably going to be more receptive to some of the, these ideas, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the first place. It's a, it's a, it's a challenge. Um, you know, it's not just about young farmers, you know, implementing the changes we need. We need all farmers, you know, to contribute 
you know, towards meeting the actions of, of, of this roadmap. So again, there's a role for us all to play, um, you know, in terms of Chagas yourselves and, and, and the private advisory system in Ireland. And we all have to roll up our sleeves and figure out, well, how are we going to engage you know, with that cohort of farmers that have done things in a certain way, you know, for a long time, and just how are we going to drive that behavioural change? But look, it's a, it's, it's a very valid point. Yeah, and I think our, our education programmes as well, I mean, there's an updating process going on there in terms of, you know, introducing a lot more emphasis on, on this area. Um, question, uh, Dale, in relation to, you mentioned about 50% of end use uh, within the dairy sector, which would infer then that there's a 50% from outside of the dairy sector. So uh, I suppose the question is surely that this should be spread across, this, re these reductions should be spread across all sectors that rather than just uh, expecting the, the dairy sector to, to, to carry uh, the burden. Uh, maybe I know that's not what you inferred but, or said, but uh, just maybe you could comment on that. Or look, ha happy to clarify that. Look, the, the, the reality is everyone is going to have to play their role, you know, in, 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 in reducing nitrogen use. If you look at it from a, from a tillage farmer perspective, I, I mentioned where, where, where grassland farmers, um, you know, livestock farmers are probably operating at a 25-30% nutrient use efficiency. Tillage farmers could be up at 60-65%. So, it, it's clear for us as a department, you know, the focus does have to be on that livestock side. And then when you break that down you, and you look at it in terms of, you know, your dairy versus your beef, you know, your dairy farmer is probably, you know, using that greater proportion of nitrogen on, on, on his farm. Livestock producers, beef farmers will absolutely have, make a contribution here. Um, they're farming in a very extensive way. There are many beef farmers out there that you know are, are are very close to being organic in terms of their production, in terms of their nitrogen use levels. So everyone will have to play their role, but dairy farmers um, have probably driven that increase in end usage over recent times. We have an issue with water quality in certain catchments uh, in Ireland, in Cork, and Tipperary, into Kilkenny. We're kind of seeing that, and that's primarily driven by dairy farmers. So I'm, I'm very, very clear and I'm not, you know, the there is a focus there, you know, on the dairy sector, we need to get this right. Um, and, 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 and they will have to, you know, account, as I said, for, 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 for a significant share of that reduction. You mentioned in your presentation uh, about the reduced uh, management intensity of peat-based uh, agricultural soils. And I was just looking figures up there around 20% of Ireland's land surfaces covered in peatlands, and not not all farmed, of course. But what sort of measures or um, actions or policies do you foresee that will will help to reduce that uh, management intensity? Uh, I suppose bearing in mind that just transition uh, piece that we spoke about earlier. Yeah, look, that's a fair comment, and that's you know maybe one of those spaces where that just transition you know will come in. I think the first thing we need to do, we need to identify, you know, where these soils are. Um, it, it, there's a significant win for the agriculture and inventory by reducing those, you know, the management intensity of those soils and re-wetting them. Um, and I know it's something um, that, 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 you know, the, the, the government is, is keen to look at. Initially, we've talked about that 40,000 hectares. 
But as this kind of process develops and this roadmap, you know, evolves over time, I could see that increasing. Um, you know, so we would have to look at that. You know, we would have to set up a, I, I could see an implementation group around this whole space mark in terms of identifying them, coming up with the actions that would need, you know, in order to support farmers and, um, you know, that are operating in this space. Yeah, and I, th I think that's, you, you mentioned the expert consultation groups. I think that's a really good initiative uh, to, to try and get that uh, shared responsibility and absolutely uh, it's key and i want to just reiterate again you know like this isn't about the department saying we do this we could have held this roadmap back a little bit longer and develop some more kind of thinking around some of these actions but we didn't want to do that we wanted to get it out there as quickly as possibly could and then we want to engage now with everyone and um, there's still you know people would still have a role you know, in terms of developing the thinking, the implementation of these actions, I probably foresee maybe, you know, 10 to 12 of these kind of implementation groups working across the different actions, um, you know, within the documents, uh, you know, to drive the implementation of this roadmap. We simply cannot afford to just leave this now on a shelf. That's not this one. Is it? That's not what this process is about. It's about getting something out there, getting people clued into what we need to do. And now it moves to what, how we're going to do it. A question there, uh, how are, are farmers who engage in making these changes uh, going to get credit for it? How are we going to, to I suppose, count the, the, the changes at, at farm scale? Yeah, look, I think, I suppose, from, from, a, from a climate change point of view and an inventory point of view, Pat, everything works at a national level. So it's all about the, the you know, the total amount of nitrogen used within the system, et cetera, et cetera. At a more local level in terms of water quality, it tends to be more local. So, you know, the, 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 the challenge is in terms of, say, in terms of that kind of carbon trading piece, you know, it's, it's about measuring, you know, what is on the farm. And Chagas have, have, have started with a big project, as you know, Pat, on, on, on carbon observatories, uh, which, was, which, which would be funded for the next number of years. So that's a great start at trying to identify a baseline of what's there. And um, when we do that, we will be able to then to measure progress over time and hopefully at that point reward farmers. The, the, the whole area of carbon trading, it's still under development and we still have a bit to go about that. If you look at the changes in, in the US, we've got the Biden administration coming in now um, and they're going to kind of drive this agenda pretty strongly, I feel as well, in terms of that kind of whole piece about, you know, encouraging farmers um, to, to sequester carbon and trying to increase that carbon sequestration within our land base. Uh, There's a question there for maybe a bit of clarification that to explain the difference between re-wetting re peat soils, which can still be farmed, and, and, and flooding bogs. Uh, well, I don't think, you know, the, the, the flooding of the bogs and the, 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 the re-wetting of the peat soils, so that's something that, that, that we will kind of have to look at. Um, it's not something that personally I'm, I'm an expert in that area. Um, so, as I said, we will be setting up an implementation group. My colleague, uh, Philip, in the division, you know, leads on, on, on this area. Um, and it's something that, that, that our thinking, you know, around that will, will, will develop this year. And I suppose there's two different, co or two different uh, uh, groups dealing with it. You have Board Namona dealing with a lot of Absolutely. And we'll have, to, we'll have to work very closely, you know, with Board Namona. And we do kind of work closely with them, you know, in terms of identifying, you know, the soils. Quite, 
A question there about organic, and you mentioned uh, uh, an increase. Uh, but what proposals are are in place to try and uh, uh, deliver a, an increase in in organics? Again, that's a very good question, um, and I, I don't have all the answers for that at the moment. Again, it's very much in that space that look we would have to set up a group, you know, in that organic space, clearly cap in terms of having a kind of support program there that would enable farmers to transition, you know, to organic production. Uh, I mentioned, you know, there's a lot of our beef farmers, you know, uh, particularly in the West of Ireland that, you know, are very close to being organic. And, um, you know, so it does organic, you know, provide a potential opportunity for them to, to transition, you know, take that final step into that space. So look, funding would be part of it. Look, it has to be market driven as well. We have to make sure that the, the demand is there in the marketplace for these products. But you know, it's something that Minister Hackett is very keen on. Um, and, and we would be, you know, working with her to 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 look at what the department can do um, you know, over the coming years to 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 transition people um, to help achieve that target. Yeah, there's a mention a lot of uh, less or low emission slurry spreading in, in the plan and a point being made here that derogation farmers are probably the highest stocked farmers and the environment would benefit most from these farmers uh, using uh, less. Uh, the question is, is it counterproductive to agricultural policy that as of today, there will be no TAMS grant available to derogation farmers to buy uh, less tankers maybe you could explain the, the rationale for that yeah look it's 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 it, it, it's a fair point um you know on on the face of it and i understand you know that the reason for that questioning unfortunately when when something becomes the law of the land um, you, the department are then forbidden from from grant aiding any farmer in order to achieve that minimum standard so that's that's the simple reality of it a number of derogation farmers now are mandated you know, to use uh, from a legislative point of view to use this equipment um, you know, on the farms. And because of that, the department can no longer grant aid those farmers uh, to receive support. Which would appear to be as counterintuitive that you were trying to, to get people to move uh, to, to uh, using these technologies and uh, I, I've had this conversation with some of your colleagues, and I, I challenged that uh, not not that it's 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 within your your media control, but uh, I think that if we are expecting people to uh, implement these technologies, uh, I think we should be trying to create as supportive and an enabling environment, even if the the, the law is in place. Uh, so maybe that's. Well, I'll take note of that, Mark. Yeah, yeah, great. Thank you. Um, some 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 more uh, interesting questions. Question coming in in relation to the whole funding uh, around uh, the uh, these measures, and um, you were saying in your presentation, Dale, that we can't leave it all to the common agricultural policy, uh, and bearing in mind the the very strong focus of CAP on the same climate issues, how does the Irish government propose to support farmers over and above CAP payments to achieve climate ag climate ties? Um, so that, that and, and in the context of national carbon tax receipts, I suppose that was mentioned as a as a potential uh, funding source. Is that is yeah, there? Well, a... look, 
Yeah, it? the carbon tax like is an interesting one, and there there will hopefully be some scope there that you know some money you know that we generate from that will come back into agriculture. I think that's already been committed by the government in terms of having you know a specific key, a scheme, a national scheme on on, on agri environment, and that will be partly funded by 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 the carbon tax. So you know there are things there that 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 we can do, and um, we're going to be trialing a lot of measures, you know, over the next two years to see, you know, what works and what doesn't work, and then so that look when when the new cap comes in, we can kind of hit the hit the ground running. You know, cap does have a role to play, and we would acknowledge that. Um, it's not all about funding, I would say. Like if you look at the fertilizer piece, you know, in terms of back to the two main actions that that I ask farmers to focus in on the beginning in terms of reducing fertilizer use uh, and you know, switching fertilizer type, there's not necessarily a cost involved with those. So, you know, there's a lot of measures in this document that are cost kind of positive or cost, you know, for the farmer. Um, and you know, we would ask, you know people to kind of really hone in on that. There's some things that do cost money in terms of the low emission story spreading, and we've touched on that, but there's a lot of things in the document as well that people can do uh, without, you know, increasing costs in the farm and possibly potentially even, you know, reducing overall costs. The question here, will the end reduction required uh, for climate be enough to deliver water quality and, and biodiversity issues, or will further reductions be required Look, there's probably a, a, a degree of crystal ball gazing, Pat, with that one. Um, you know, I would say that we, 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 we're starting from a point where, where, where we feel if we could get to 325,000, we, we, we could achieve an awful lot. There is, as I say, a, a slight disconnect between, you know, our, our greenhouse gas inventory target, which I said is a national target, um, as opposed to water quality, which is, a, which is a more local issue. And there's other issues that need to be done. It's not just about the, the overall volume of fertilizer. It's about, you know, when the fertilizer is being applied, the time of the year, et cetera, et cetera. So look, it's a difficult question to answer. We will be monitoring it kind of closely, but I would hope that, you know, certainly it would get us a, a long way of the, of the way there by 2030. Uh, how confident is Dale uh, that feed additives can work? Uh, in I would be very confident. Um, I think there's an expectation there now within the global livestock um, system, if you like, or the countries that are involved in producing livestock that methane does need to reduce. And um, there's no question about that. So there's over the last two to three, five years, I've seen an awful lot of focus being put on this area, like DSM, the company are very close to, you know, having commercializing a product for confined systems of production. It's a little bit more challenging for, for grass-based production systems, and there might be a bit of a lag before products become available. But we're very confident in the department that a technological solution to the methane issue will become available. You mentioned um, the role of, um, well, I'm not sure if we actually mentioned today, but there's a question here in relation to uh, the role of agricultural contractors um, that, you know, we know a lot of slurry is being spread by agricultural contractors, a lot of fertilizer and lime, of course, as well. Uh, are there plans to support that sector um, in terms of, of grants, particularly uh, for the, the low emission slurry services that are, are, are supplied by this, uh, this group? Yeah, look, that's that's a good question, Mark, and it's something that has come up before. You know, 
contractors aren't eligible, you know, for, for the TAM supports in terms of, you know, uh, getting support to buy those machines. Um, it's, it's difficult within the, within the rules that, you know, that the, the department operates under. But look, you know, that's a key issue. You know, we can, we can certainly kind of, you know, look at that again. But I know more my colleagues in the department that there, there are certainly difficulties around there. But look, we can, we can, we can see. Okay, um, we're coming close to the end. Pat, have you any final questions for Dale? No, I suppose one, one here. Uh, if Ag climatizes a living working document, why are accounting systems locked in until 2030 when we know and understand that, that this area is rapidly developing? Uh, I suppose it's an international process and the international process at a, at a, a United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change in terms of their systems that it is locked in, they work, you know, in, in, in long periods kind of in advance. Our document is a living document from the point of view that we will be responding to the national requirements. And as I said, there's a new climate bill, you know, going through government and the document will probably evolve on the back of that. Can we be more ambitious? Can we become not climate neutral before 2050? Can we accelerate, you know, the uptake of, of, of some of these measures, you know, even quicker? So those are kind of things that, you know, we will, we will have to look at over, over the next year. But like, you know, by and large, you know, everything that the agriculture sector can contribute, you know, is, is contained within, within this roadmap path. The international piece is much, much harder to influence and change. There's, there's, there's so many countries around the world that have a voice in this. You know, and if you're changing the focus on methane, if you like, or you're putting more focus back on carbon dioxide and some other big industrial countries uh, may not be so keen to see that. So that's the challenge the department faces, you know, at, a, at an international level. And, and at, at the point you made before, it doesn't in any way point us in the wrong direction. We still need to reduce particularly. That Absolutely. Like it's a bit of a red herring from that point of view. Um, as I said, and like, like, people to be very clear regardless of what metric we, we have to use we, we everyone has, has committed that we need to reduce that methane we don't know exactly by how much we need to reduce it by between now and 2050 because that science is evolving and um, but that will emerge but certainly it's going to be a minimum 20 percent okay dale i'm afraid we're going to have to to leave it at that we're out of time can you believe that where's that hour gone um sincere thanks for for your excellent presentation you had some tough questions there so um well well done on that and i, I think that that helps give clarity to a lot of people watching today on you know what what's in this acclimatized document and so we can expect a lot of uh, action over the next uh, number of months uh, and years Absolutely. in this area yeah, we would say that just a final point, like it's, it moves to, to, to the implementation phase now, you know, and, and we want to involve everyone, you know, the IFA, the industry, Dairy Sustainability Yard and Chagas, the advisors. That's just a few examples. It's not an exhaustive list, but, but it, it, by working together, we can achieve great things. And um, this is not a document that sits on a shelf. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Dale. And just a reminder to everybody, today's uh, webinar is recorded and will be available on the Chagas YouTube website uh, very, very soon, and along with the presentation. 
Um, if you'd like to receive updates on training opportunities and latest publications and invitations to events from Chagas, I encourage you to sign up to the Chagas Connected uh, digital program, uh, which is available. You get a link at the end of this, this uh, webinar. Uh, finally, I'd like to thank our production team, in particular, Andy Boland, Catherine Keena, Pat Murphy and Yvonne Maher. Uh, and also to remind you that next week we'll be talking to Elaine Levy, who is an organic uh, specialist with Chagas. And we'll be talking about the steps to on-farm conversion uh, and the opportunities within organics. So look forward to seeing you all then next week. So thanks again. And uh, we will chat to you next Friday. Bye-bye for now. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagas Signpost series the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson and thanks for listening.